Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Hello, my babies. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. Here we are again, just you and I in, a, in an auditory form, getting to know each other just a little bit better. Well, let's be honest. I'm not getting to know you, but I wish I could. You know what I mean? But inevitably, this is, this is our form of communication. I basically balk and just sort of talk at you for 60, 90 minutes sometimes. Sometimes this thing, this thing goes long. You know, I was thinking about that as well. I mean, I try to keep the pods under 90 minutes, and, and if that, maybe hovering just above an hour. And it's fucking incredible to me how Joe Rogan does these like three-hour podcasts. I mean, the man has a gift. And I listen. I mean, maybe not all of it, but two and a half hours sometimes I'll knock down. And, uh, and I enjoy most of it. The guy knows what he's doing. What's going on in the world? Ah, the World Cup. It's like the semifinals, I think. Four teams are left. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm done. It's enough already with this World Cup. It was fun. I enjoyed it initially. But now, what are we, three weeks in? What, do people not have jobs? I mean, listen, I know that people love this. The the whole sporting culture, people love it. And it's so much wish fulfillment and living through other people. And sometimes you don't have a lot. So to have your team represent you and who you are and where you come from. And then and then to see them succeed, it's just, oh, what, what could be better? But inevitably, it's just people chasing a ball. I just, and I like sports. I do, but I just... I've got sort of a healthy distance between me and the thing. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, I don't cry tears of gold and purple for my Lakers. I just don't. I'm not that guy. And now, after three weeks, there's a bit of uh, soccer fatigue. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, I still love their incredible haircuts that these players have. I, I mean, that's a, there should be a documentary just on the preparation for the World Cup. I mean, these guys have high and tight fades all around their hair, and it... it all around their hair, their head, and it looks, I mean, the haircuts are are incredible. They really are. But yeah, World Cup will be over soon. I, you know, look, I enjoyed it, and I don't mean to talk shit, because I know people, people love it, but for me, it's kind of, listen, it's enough already, you know? It's, it's enough. What else? Oh, the Thai kids are, are stuck in that cave. Four got out. Basically, this group of Thai kids with some harebrained counselor of theirs, I don't know what this guy was thinking, was like, ah, come on, kids, we're going to go investigate this terrifying cave, you know? I mean, listen, can we just, do we have to investigate all things? Do we have to explore it all? Some shit is scary. Uh, you know, uh, for example, caves, deep water, space. What? Can't we just keep it? You know, can we not just have to see everything and uncover the truth and all things? Anyway, this counselor, this guy, I don't know. I don't have my facts straight. Led these kids on this this tour, this cave exploration thing. Wouldn't you know, monsoon hits. They get trapped in the cave. Now, oxygen's running out. They're there over a week. What are they going to do? Who comes to save the day? Who's saving the day right now? Elon Musk. I mean, this guy, I mean, he created Tesla. He's like, he's like a modern-day Iron Man. He's a real-life Tony Stark. 
he starts doing all these like tabulations in his head, starts tweeting them out. Well, I think if we got this drill there and we use this nylon tubing and at this pressure and PSI and he's got equations going on. And he, he sent people there to help. He owns a car company. He doesn't need to help, but he wants to, you know? He's, a, he's like the coolest nerd on earth. Man, so smart, throwing out figures and whatnot. I'm not smart like that. Most of us aren't, you know? I wish I was. Sometimes I pat myself on the back when I can uh, tabulate the tip for my dinner in my head, you know, when I can figure out the 20%. I think I'm really doing some high-level mathematics. I'm not. I'm really not. It's, you know, what is it, division and a little multiplication? I don't know. I'm ranting. Anyway, so today's guest, well, let me give you some quick backstory. I I got into boxing and mixed martial arts about nine years ago when I was training for a movie called Red Dawn. And they, you know, the producers of the movie had the foresight to see that perhaps physically I, I needed a bit of an intervention. Uh, so they introduced me to a guy named Justin Fortune, who owns a gym in Hollywood, who basically kicked my ass on a daily basis, but I completely fell in love with boxing and MMA and just fighting. And I got to know some fighters and whatnot. And I just thought that they were some of the best people I had ever known. And so I've been fascinated with the sport for years now. And a buddy of mine, Danny, works for Bellator, which is a huge MMA company. And their star marquee fighter is a man named Chael Sonnen. And if for some reason you've lived under a rock and you're not familiar with him, Chael is one of the greatest fighters in mixed martial arts history. This is a bad man. He is a Hall of Famer, UFC champion, Bellator champion. He's got his own podcast. He writes books. He's a businessman. And he just happens to be incredibly cool and dope. And so when Danny said, would you like to spend an hour with him? I said, as long as we're not rolling around you know, in the octagon, I would love it. So I'm so excited to share with you Chael Sonnen on today's podcast. Enjoy. Whenever you're good, we're good. I'm ready. Come on. Let's do it. My man. Thank you for doing this. Happy to be here. I feel honored. Have we started? Is this the beginning? Why not? Why not? Let's just do it Let's up. Let's do it. Okay, first question. Okay. I'm a mere baby man, and I walk around with the fear that if anything ever got real between me and another person, I would nine out of ten times get folded in an instant. Oh, yeah, you would. I could take one look at you. Right? Yeah, Size don't get me into up. any street justice, my friend. <laughs> Let me know. What, do you, what, huh? what energy am I putting out there? I'm soft, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. Too nice. Uh, too nice. That's baby the face. word I would use. Too nice. <laughs> baby face. Nice guy. But I feel Good like... for you. Your mother raised you right. You should be proud of this. Shout out, Barbara. Love you, Mom. But what's it like... Because I feel like most people have my feelings. But what's it like not having that? That knowing in... Almost any situation you could handle yourself. Yeah, well, I don't really know the answer to that question, but it, but it is a good feeling. Mm. It, it is a good feeling. There, is it there, secure? There is the confidence that comes with that. Yeah, I've seen people use that and and be reckless with it, overstate their abilities in their own mind. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wouldn't get into any of that myself. I, w- I would uh, try to defuse the situation and walk away. But there there is a truth about that. I, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant. I'm just answering your question. But no. yes, there 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 is a truth about that when. Uh, 
when you, you go into situations and you will see fake tough guys all the time, maybe a bar sure. situation or something like this, and knowing that you're the one real tough guy. There, there is something <laughs> right. about that that I, I think that um, it would be more of a positive way, though, as opposed to more of a barbaric way, where something would, would probably roll off my shoulder a lot easier than it would uh, somebody else that thought they had to prove themselves. It, it right. probably wouldn't be much of a second thought. Do you find in most cases that the real tough guy is the quiet, you know, sort of removed one who feels no need to boast or put out that air? I think there could be there could be some kind of a truth to that. I think that there could be some kind of a truth to that. Yeah, I mean, the tough guys that I admire aren't jerks. They're house trained, right? They can walk around. They can <laughs> There's be in a society. zen to them. Yeah, right? they 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 don't they don't misbehave or or feel a need to let everybody know that they have some kind of a skill. Right. But I do know of some of those guys. I just I don't look up to them. I look down on them. I think they're jerks. But um, I do see that attitude sometimes where they, they just need everybody in the room to know. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, who are you trying to impress with that? But do you think, and I'm fascinated by it because I see it too. And now, like, I'm a little more domesticated. I'm, like, 31 and married. But all through your 20s, I feel like you're constantly com- coming in contact with guys who feel the need to present this air of like I'm tough and if you come at me the wrong way and these sort of as you said like fake tough guys is that just indoctrinated in us as men where, where do you think that's born out of I think so I think yeah. so man the ages 18 to 25 is a very dangerous time for a young man right. very dangerous time I know a lot of good guys that have ended up in prison because they made one bad decision and they, they had one of those nights in that age range of 18 to 25. And yes, they leave the house and they got a little something on their shoulder. And there's an old country song, Johnny, don't take your guns to town. But, yeah, you know, his mother pled with him, don't take those guns to town. And eventually he did and he got shot down. And that's the way it goes. But yeah, young men have to be very careful in that age range. They, they make a lot of bad decisions and they do have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as they're growing up and becoming men. And once you become a man, you realize it doesn't matter who the tough guy in the room is. One's got nothing to do with the other. Who's the nice guy in the room? Who can defuse the situation? Who can go into a room and win it over with their charm, not with their fists? But th- there is something about young men in that age range that can be very dangerous. And do you find, like, I, I, I notice more so than ever that because MMA is bigger than ever and more people are training and even in a really um, base-level way are learning – certain holds and certain chokes and whatnot that like if you came at a guy the wrong way there's a good chance that he's going to put you to sleep quick and then on your way down to your your street nap you might hit your head and not wake up right yeah that's a real thing there's a real thing so much danger yeah Uh, i mean for for mixed martial arts which i do competitively i like offense i believe in offense but you know for kids or somebody that's just looking to learn something for confidence or in case they end up in one of those altercations i like defense i like just enough to protect yourself and get yourself out of the situation right and it's that in between where the real danger is it's the guy that just knows a few moves but he's looking to show them off and he could really hurt somebody and uh I, I don't find that funny or humorous. I, I, I think that he needs to be prosecuted, and I think he should have learned how to uh, avoid the situation. Right. I'm fascinated by, and you'll hear Joe Rogan talk about this, and I just can't believe it, that, like, I would not I would be careful not to cut you in the lunch line, let alone, like, come at you sideways. And That's wise by you. That's thank very you. wise. Listen, I know you don't mess around when you're but, hungry. But if you're hungry, I mean, then you go first. It I happens. understand. It's, I'm probably going in for seconds at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm fascinated by guys that will go up to professionals, trained guys like you who 
you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cross ever and, and puff up at you and, and come at you the wrong way because of an ego hit or something like trained killers. They'll come up towards like, what, what's this, that psychology? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't stupid. see a, yeah, that <laughs> would be a stupid thing. I, I wouldn't think that that would happen unless that was, um, alcohol induced. Mm. I have seen that though. And it, it's, <laughs> um, it, it's never really wise, but, uh. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. I, I have seen it, but again, I think it, it largely goes back to alcohol. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you ever been tempted to look at a guy who came at you the wrong way and say, like, your dad did love you. He just didn't know yeah. how to show it. No. No, I avoid those uh, kind of at all costs. Yeah, I mean, I got a code like anybody else. Even when I was growing up in school, you know, if the guy was older or bigger, he was fair game. If he came at me and he was bigger than me and he or he was older than me, or if I was outnumbered, they right. were fair game. I used to look for those situations. I would control it at all times. But if they came up and there was two or three of them, I'm going to whip the shit out of all three of you. And please edit that. I've never cursed publicly. That just slipped out of my mouth. Strong. But I remember that used to go through my <laughs> mouth. I uh, used to go through my mind. I'd be looking around and go, oh, you, you brought your friends? Then we're going to have some fun. So you were a collector of injustice. You were righting the wrongs of the world. I, that's how I felt about it, whether right. it was true or not. That is how I felt about it. But I avoided those situations as best I could. You know, sometimes you can't, but, you know, I got an ego too. But, um, yeah, I would look for those, yes, if the if the guy that was older. Or you know those jerks in school, man, that the older, the bigger kid or something like that. But, um. Yeah, I would look for those. I would, I would insert myself in those, those, those. I'd see a group of other guys bullying one guy and go, oh, that guy's by himself, and there's three or four of you. Right well, now, now he's with me. So, were you naturally a scrappy kid growing up? Did you have a natural talent from the beginning? I really enjoyed it. I mean, mm. that was that was fun for me. Um, where did did you have siblings? Like, I had did, an older sister, but from? she never wanted she never wanted to do anything. I'd always try to wrestle with her. She she'd never let no me touch fair. her. No, she never wanted to play. Come on! But she she was very smart. She was a good athlete. She actually won a state championship herself. She won it in uh, in dance. Uh, shout out to my sister there, sister Reagan. But um, Reagan, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I came from a family of wrestlers, but it okay. was my cousins and things like that at like holidays where, you know, we we get it get on the living room floor and. And right. play and and be a little rougher, but uh, no, not not in the house on a daily basis. My dad, my dad would wrestle with me. And you grew up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. What part? Westland, just outside of Portland, about thirty minutes outside of Portland, near like Gresham. Uh, no, I would hold my breath if I went through Gresham. <laughs> I worked it's there disgusting. for six weeks. Yeah, it's like being in in Los Angeles. It's it's filth. Solid. Yeah. Beautiful um, red lobster. Yeah, that's right. No, no, I, I grew up in West Lynn. Yeah. Okay. And was it super rural or like, what was it like? Yeah. Yeah, about uh, about 30,000 people. Okay. We, we all shop at the same grocery store. and Fred Myers. No, we have a Fred Meyer out there. I'm impressed that you know that. Good I know job, things. by the way. That's not a national brand, right? I mean, that's no. local to, to us for at least the Northwest. Yeah, it's like your, your Walmart. Yes. Nice kinda. pull by you. Fred Meyer. Wow, respect. I'm full of them. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing in Gresham, by the way? I made a movie there called Mean Creek about 15 years ago. And so it was this little indie, and, and we stayed there for six weeks. I mean, it was beautiful. We were on the, the river right there. Okay. The and, Columbia. Yeah. Yep. And it was freezing but gorgeous. And, I mean, I loved it. There's a lot to love. Gresham was a little hit This or might miss. surprise you. Up the Columbia, we have something called the Gorge. I'm trying to think right. of the actual city's name. But it is the windsurfing capital of the world. Really? Are you ready for that? Of the whole world. In the summertime, Come on. Beach bombs and everything, you know, the old the old Volkswagen vans pull up. People live in them for 
months, months at a time, and they go surf out. I'm trying to think of the name of that. Sit Hood River. Hood River, Oregon. Hood River. Yep. Right. Yep. Windsurfing capital of the world. It's a, I feel I've like never windsurfed. I have it right in my back door. I would love if somebody would teach me. I would go take a lesson. I would pay for it. I mean, it looks like they're really having fun out there, but. Why not? I don't know any sports. I never got really exposed to sports. My dad was a right. Boom, you wrestled. My uncles wrestled. My cousins wrestled. I regret it in some ways. In some ways, I'm very grateful for it. It gave me an opportunity that I have today, but I, I would maybe, you know, I'd like to try baseball or something like that. Right. I always tell people, and this is true, but, you know, if I ever suffered an injury or got older, my athletic abilities diminished, like diminished a lot, I would join the NFL. I think I right. could walk right into that, right? That's a lazy man sport. <laughs> Come on. Seven minutes of action and a four hour. They're going to give you pads. I mean, they're going to give you teammates. So Come much on. Gatorade. I walk in the NFL right now. Right now, I can walk in the NFL. You want to know another skill I have? Tell Just, me I'm more. I'm not putting you on it. I will get in a pool and prove this. I could beat Michael Phelps in swimming. I could go with him stroke for stroke right now. I could see that. I am a bullet in the water, an absolute bullet in the water. I almost entered the state championships when I was in high school. We had a wrestling event that day because I knew I'd walk through the state tournament. Really? That might be my, my one God-given skill. Wrestling wasn't a skill for me. I had to, I had to develop it. I, have a, I was a born swimmer. Because I, I, quite I, probably, I couldn't go with Phelps. I said that for shock value to get your attention. You sure. Really get. Phelps well is the world champion. I could go with I would be Phelps' biggest competition. No training. Put me in a pool right now. You would be stunned. Because I look at you and I question your buoyancy. Buoyancy, that's a big word. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I am a bullet. If you put me in the water right now and set a stopwatch and then went and compared that against NCAA and world records, I would have many of them really? right now. No training pool today. And I'll prove it. I'm not just saying this for you for some kind of a routine. Who cares if you're a fast swimmer? I'm sure. just sharing with you. I am. We'll do a follow. Well, we'll do a follow up. Right now we can video the live whole from the pool. Live. No warm up. Anything. Take my shirt off. Jump in. Live stream time. it. Maybe do it with your shirt yeah. on. I, I swim with my shirt on, yeah. but that's some deep seated insecurity. So growing up in, in Oregon, is it, you know, is it? It seems rather bucolic, like just nice, classic upbringing. I'm, at, I'm imagining you like hanging out, doing sports. Like, was it just kind of like a normal childhood? I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, I thought we had a normal childhood, and um, yeah, I was fortunate to have it. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, it was a different time. It was a different time then, which which some of the kids today can't relate to. But uh, social media wasn't even a thing. That term didn't exist. The right. word internet didn't exist. The first time I, I heard the word internet was in uh, 1995, which was the year I graduated high school. Right. Nobody had email. I remember it getting explained to me because uh, my science teacher had email, and teachers were communicating through email from classroom to classroom. And he was trying to tell us what it was. None of us had any idea. And that will sound very ridiculous to some people, but the world was a different place back then. Privacy was a real thing back right. then. You you had that. And, uh, you know, the, the ability to socialize with other people had to be done face-to-face. -face. We didn't all have cell phones back then. We didn't have uh, Facebooks and things like this. So it was a little bit different time, and, I, and in many ways I think it was uh, – I think it might have been a better time. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I might have had a lot of fun with the – the, the, the social media and the things that the kids have today, but I think it could also be very dangerous. I think it would be very time-consuming for someone like me. I, I could tell you as an adult, I really enjoy social media, and I find myself doing it hours a day. I think if I would have had that as a kid, I, it might have distracted me a little bit. And I think, too, to your point is that now more so than ever, people can say things without repercussion, right, because there's the anonymity of the Internet. And so they can say such hateful crazy troll statements without fear that it's ever going to come back to bite them or in most cases whereas 
when you talk about when you were in high school and before social media, it was like, if you had the balls to say that to someone, you might get dealt with. Right. You might have to face those consequences immediately. And so I think it's, it's uh, sort of generating some kids who walk around with these big mouths and no fear that it's ever going to come back to bite yeah. them. No, I think you're right about that. I really think that social media in a large part is just a place to be mean and be right. uh, protected all at the same time. Whereas, you know, in a more real-life situation, if, if you're mean, there, there could be consequences for that. So I know that's been my experience. People are usually very mean to me on social media. <laughs> they <laughs> say very mean things, which I get a big kick out of. Uh, I always get a kick out of it. Do you want to give you, some examples? Well, Is you there brought anything? up earlier. We could, probably, we could probably go to, like, a Twitter account right now, and I, I could read a few off for you. I get it, too. But you, know, you brought up the example earlier of, hey, your father really did love you, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that sometimes I go, you know, you're... You, you took the time to set up this account. I'm reading not only what you said to me, but what you said to other people. You're just on here being mean. Why totally. are you being mean? What, what's happening in your life that you're going in here in 140 characters or less to uh, to insult the world as opposed to encourage the world? I think maybe that person should uh, should adjust some things. You feel a lot better when you give people compliments than when you give insults. Sure. If you're ever having a bad day, try that sometime for your listeners. If you're ever having a bad day, go give someone a compliment. It will instantly put you in a better mood. I think so. Yes. Compliments and praise solve all negativity. Right. Yeah, if you're ever just kind of in a rut and you're, you're seeing the world through some negative glasses, go grab a stranger or even, even not a stranger and pay them a couple of compliments. You'll feel better instantly. Do you find that, because this has almost always been true for me, that the vicious trolls, if they get me at a bad day and I decide to respond in some way, and it's usually a well-phrased comeback in the sense of, like, sorry you feel that way. Sure. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> so condescending. You oh, know. the condescension. <laughs> and almost always the response will be, dude, I love you, bro. Just wanted to get your attention. Sure. Like, I'm a fan. Do you find that's true for you, too? Yeah, I've never had a, a negative, uh, you know, get, we're talking social media here. I'm a Twitter guy. Um, and if I ever DM somebody, right. they w- no matter how uh, viral they were, visceral they were they will respond oh my gosh you you, you responded right. i'm they a fan or something like that yeah and i i halfway get that you know i i i halfway get that but i i never have met like a, a naysayer or a jerk or anything like that in in person it's it's only through the through <laughs> the internet which i think is probably a real thing i think that's probably good if you're going to be a dick it's probably best to do it in that man don't do it to somebody's face come on we're just human beings. We've got feelings, too. Come on. You know, yeah, don't walk up to a guy and ruin his day for no reason. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I remember listening to Lance Armstrong when he was on Howard Stern. And after everything he went to, went through, he said the one truth for him had been that not a single person had ever come up to him in person and said a word. Yeah. And, I mean, he went through such a public shitstorm and was crucified on social media, and yet no one had the balls to be like, what you did was wrong. You hurt me. Right. So it's so telling, too, of, like, just, yeah, that anonymity of the Internet. And also, like, do you? isn't it interesting how I can get ten lovely comments of, of real fans being so nice, and it's that one comment that I can't get out of my sure. head for yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, a real thing, and people will think that you're above it. They don't. They don't want to see an insult. They want to see anything wrong with insulting you, you specifically. You were on television, and right. you got this huge podcast. Your life's going so well, so you could take a little of negativity. And it's like, uh, no, that isn't that isn't true. I I feel those same things that you feel as a human being. I'd rather be patted on the back than than of seeing kicked in my face. 
but they they don't see it as them being a jerk. You know, hey, everything in your life's going so well. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you down a notch, but you won't feel it because you. Anyhow, so yeah, that is a real thing. You brought up Lance Armstrong though. What a what a disaster from a PR standpoint. I mean, he oh, is gotta man. be the world's biggest pussy. The way he handled that whole thing. You know, what a crybaby. And uh, so what? So what that he yeah. th- that he took those things. The human body is not meant to go ride through the Alps. Yeah, right. It's not like that's a real sport anyway. My 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 nephew's eight years old. He rides a bike. Who possibly cares? And that's what he should have said mm. uh, from day one. He never should have denied that. He should have said, "Well, catch me if you can." This is the game. Right. You guys have your tests, and I've got my secret. So let's put the two together and see if you come out on top. He never should have apologized for any of that. And he's such a puss in real life, you know. <laughs> which you'd have to be to put on spandex and go ride a bicycle. I mean, you got to be a special kind of wimp Strong. to think that that's some kind of a life to do. So. You know, that comes through in his PR as well, where he, he's out on this apology and lying tour. When the reality is, what's the difference? You got your test. I got my game. Let's put them together. But, and, and he should have laid out. He never had to go through years of lying on going on Oprah's couch. And he was he's a prick in real life. If you, if you met Lance. I haven't had the Yeah, Lance is a prick. So, I'm looking forward to it Yeah, now. so you're not going to like feel bad for Lance. The, right. the guy's a prick. But from a PR standpoint, he should have stood his ground. He should have stood his ground and said, to this day, I've submitted to over 100 tests, and none of them are positive, so shove it up your ass. Right. And he should have stood on it like a man. Instead, he stood on it like a guy that wears spandex and rides a bike. He, he handled it like a puss, and he got what he deserves. He got what he deserves for being a puss. If he would have been a man about it one day in his goddamn life, he would have walked through that like a gangster. He would have Charlie Sheen the whole thing. But that's <laughs> not within him, man. That's just not within it. him. Is that your feeling? Because I, I was listening to you on Rogan from two years ago, and it seems like that's your sort of feeling about any time someone comes up positive, it's like, fucking own it because it's 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 a part of you. Yeah, of course I did it. Yeah. I got asked that one time under oath in front of a commission. They said, have you ever taken a performance-enhancing drug? I said, guys, never in my life would I take anything unless I thought it was going to enhance my performance. And it did. Yeah, I'm not walking around trying to bring myself down. Right. I'm not taking dehancers, (laughs) dum-dum. I only take enhancers. Yeah, I'm not putting cement blocks on my feet. I want to fly, baby. It's a stupid question. Yeah, they said, why'd you do it? Well, I didn't think I'd get caught. Yeah, Next course. question. I thought I handled this yeah, better. Are we really doing this? Right. Do you have any real questions for me? I mean, I remember, I remember thinking that. And I remember watching Lance go through this and I, for years, and he was never taking Sure you were. Sure you were. And so, so were all the other guys. The right cyclist still won. Right. So what? And is there any What's way? What's the difference? I always remember hearing from from buddies of mine that were in professional sports, and and a friend, you know, Justin Fortune, the boxing trainer, no, Pacquiao's guy, familiar. okay, and he owns a, a gym in in Hollywood, and his thing was always like the problem with steroids is they really work, mm-hmm. like they're quite good and they're quite helpful for the right guy who's got all the baseline structure yep. ready to go, but just to give him that little bit of extra fuel, right? So. And that was a frustrating part for me. I will, I will tell you, that was a, when I was growing up, it was don't take steroids. We had classes on that. When I went into the NCAA, we mm. had to take classes to, to make sure you were in compliance with NCAA rules. And it was always don't take steroids. I never taken a steroid in my life, never even been offered them, never been in possession of them. Somewhere over time, it turned into performance enhancing. Ah. Which is like, first off, those are positive terms. Performance and enhancing are 
positive terms. And secondly, to get FDA approval and be a medicine in this country, you must prove that you enhance somebody. So don't tell me you can't take performance enhancers. That's what people should be taking, things that make them better. In the world of sport, it can be against the rules. So now it's a dirty thing. Now you're cheating. And I'm not trying to cross the two of those. I'm just saying that is a very confusing term, performance enhancing, versus what you brought up, which is steroids. Steroids are illegal. They're against the law. They will put you in handcuffs. Performance enhancers are completely legal. That's called medicine. Yes. So it's a very confusing term where you're going to tell an athlete that he can't take something that enhances his performance. Right. We're telling kids their whole lives, don't take things that dehance you, that could overdose you, that could kill you. Now you're talking about positive terms of performance and enhancing. Those are positive words that they've tried to spin into a negative. And that's what Lance should have shoved right up their ass. So if you were setting the rules for you, they handed over the world of MMA to you and they said, you're the commissioner and you are going to set the rules and this is what we're going to live by. What, what rules would you have for performance-enhancing drugs, if any? I'd ban them. Uh, I'm yeah. a hypocrite on this. Everything I just said to you, I, I mean, I don't fully mean it. I, I mean it in that the, the, the dialogue and the narrative is misplaced. However, right. it just because here's the problem, and steroids can be a really wonderful thing, too, and I, I, I've never taken, but I've read a ton about them. They can be a very positive thing, but here's the problem. If a doctor says, okay, take one milliliter of this and it will help you, and he sends you home with it. Right. Human nature is to say, if one is good, two is better. If two is better, I'll have four. Oh, and you now you've got me. a problem. I'm 10 years sober, yeah. baby. I get that in a yeah, big well, way. The, and you understand, yeah, you <laughs> right. understand the problem. I mean, even Freud talked about that, and he was a very smart guy, but he, he was a big cocaine guy. Sure. And But he talked about... I do the right amount. I'm not justifying cocaine, but I'm trying to have an intelligent conversation with you on a sensitive topic. Mm. And it's honor amongst thieves, amongst us, right? So, I mean, let's just talk and let the audience in on it. But even Freud talked about, I do this right, I don't do too much, and what it allows me to do, and he's speaking for himself, the laws were different in Freud's time in his defense, it allows me to work harder and longer. Mm. However, if he was to take too much of it, it could have killed him. Right. So that becomes the big balance. So if you're the government, or in this case, you, you asked me if I was just in charge of sport, but if I was an authoritative figure... I can't just look at myself as a responsible person and follow the golden rule of treat other people the way that you want to be treated. How would I deal with this situation? I can't do that. i got to look out for the masses, and I have to be cognizant and sensitive to the fact of human nature. If one is appropriate, two is better. If two is better, I'll have four, and that's a problem. So I have to keep the sport the way that it is. I have to, I have to protect the guys from themselves. Is there any way to win... In the, in the current world we live in where... But the- Lance didn't have to do that. Lance <laughs> right. Armstrong should fire his PR person. He should take them to court. I can't believe what an absolute puss he was in that whole situation for years. He should have shoved it right up their ass. You've got the test. This is the game. Right. You're saying I'm doing something. I'm complying for your test. Fix your test. Next question. Is there any way to not? I mean, in the current world we live in where a lot of athletes do and some don't, I mean, is there any way to to not look for that advantage when these guys are superhero levels of strength and ability? Yeah, I don't know about that, you know, and and I'll tell you this, there there is also a false narrative where guys that get jammed up and caught in those situations love to say, well, everybody does it. And that's not true, and that's not fair. Not everybody does it. There is a huge percentage that do, particularly of your greats. Mm. You know, looking back over time, looking right now, to, to point out the basketball, to point out the guys that are using it that you would never think. They're all using it. Right. 
but that doesn't mean that everybody uses it. Some guys do have a different code. They weren't offered. They didn't understand it. Or they just uh, morally and ethically were of sound mind and body and good for them. And I don't like the argument that everybody does it. I can tell you for me, I have a, a high proponency to victory. I don't like coming in second. Sure. So good for me. Why not? That's right. Heart of a lion. That's right. So Take your test and shove it up your ass. <laughs> That's what Lance Armstrong should have said. Cost him $100 million, and he deserved to lose it because he's a puss. Jesus. And he handled it like a puss, man. You don't have YouTube? You can't go watch a Charlie Sheen video? Come on. <laughs> you want to learn how to handle PR? Go watch Charles, man. Proclaimed he had tiger blood. It's pretty incredible. It was a genius. At this time. He was busted. <laughs> it was over. He was busted. He was disgusted. Charlie Sheen cut one interview and started uh, started selling out shows, going around the country, talking about how crazy he was. Right. That's how you handle a problem. You steer into it. You don't put on your spandex and go for a ride, Lance, you wuss. Well, we're learning that with Trump, right? Which is just don't apologize. Ever. Don't apologize. Why? Right? And I mean, even like the greats, like Joan Rivers was the queen of that. Like, listen, this is what Joan I get paid the best. And she would like say the most biting shit and say, listen, this is what I do. You know who I am. This is what you pay me for. Joan Rivers. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Let's she did a stand-up set. Mm. And she goes around the room and kind of works the room in. Right. She busts on a kid. <laughs> oh, no. The parent yells hey my kid has i think it was down syndrome she's stuck that's a tough spot and you see she didn't mean to step on that grenade she was trying to include somebody they had a great ticket she could see him she bared and why she went into it now i there's a certain art to that i don't possess that skill i don't i don't love that however i'm telling you from we're talking pr here and i'm using an example this is how she dealt with it yes are you fascinated by it? Because I know I am in your world as well, like these greats who get caught you know, in some sort of scandal and they don't handle it correctly. Like I'm fascinated by people that truly have the world and they, they piss it away. They mishandle it. Like where do you think that comes from, it, that it's just we're all so human and fallible or it can be too much for someone? Or Yeah, man, I, I don't know, but I, I do see particular – Particularly with somebody with celebrity, they all really want to be liked. Right. And it creates a fakeness. And they're not the world's nicest person. They're just pretending to be. And when people see through that veil, it's it's disgusting and it's a letdown and it's a big gotcha moment. Mm. And people like to do that, myself included. I, I, I like it when you, you have those kind of train wrecks and you can knock somebody off of their perch. That's human nature. I don't think that makes me a bad guy. That's just I think that just makes a human being. And... Uh, yeah, so the people that can go ahead and, and, and deal with those situations unapologetically, you know, you brought up Trump a moment ago, but uh, he is a master of it. He doesn't a make master. an apology that I have a very hard job. The camera's on me all the time. I got to make decisions. I got to make them quick. I'm well aware that they're not perfect decisions at all times, but I'm not, this is the job. Right. And I do my job, and that's that. And I think that there's a, a tremendous leadership that, that he possesses, you know, and whether you agree with him or you don't. One has nothing to do with the other. That is a leader. That right. is a natural leader. That is somebody that can go in a room, he can make a decision, he can stand on the decision unapologetically and unwavering. And, uh, I mean, that's really what you want because at the end of the day, the President of the United States is the commander-in-chief of the military. There is nothing more important than that job. Right. And the commander-in-chief has to have an answer at all times, and he has to stand on it. I mean, everybody knows that. If you're, if you're the captain of a ship or you're leading a platoon, whatever it is, 
in combat, when it comes to military, you have an answer, you make a decision, you live with that decision, and that's that. And he does that very, very well. Yo, guys, my bad. I would never do this. I don't mean to interrupt the show, but I gotta, I, I have to talk about something really important, and that's Sunbasket. Like, I'm hyped on this company. Sunbasket delivers delicious meal kits right to your door. Their new quick and easy meal plan is designed to take less than 20 minutes to prepare. And look, I'm like you. I'd love to be able to cook dinner every night, but life gets in the way. I'm tired. And I know you're tired, you know? And then you're like, oh, I'll do takeout. But that never works out because you like got to go talk to the guy behind the counter and he doesn't want to be there, you know? And you have to pray that he gets the order right, which they never do, and hope there's enough condiments and ranch and whatnots and utensils. And it's, it's very stressful, but... Sunbasket's meal kits always make it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. And like, they, they got some things, you know what I mean? Like, you can easily cook dishes like super fast Thai turkey lettuce cups or simple sausage tacos with bell pepper, chile, salsa, and queso fresco. Yeah. Okay, so look, I'm going to hook you guys up. Go to sunbasket.com slash curious today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash curious for $35 off Sunbasket. Sunbasket.com slash curious. All right, let's get back to the show. Who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. You know, my last question that I wanted to ask about the performance enhancing drugs is that, you know, I heard Boz Rutten on, on Rogan's podcast, or maybe he just quotes him, and he talked about, and this is a different thing, but the first time he got stem cell treatment, he said something to the effect of like, Joe, it was like lightning was coming out of my fingers. Like, I imagine that when you take the right supplement, something that, that helps you in that way, what's what's the feeling? Does it, is there a click in where you're just like, oh. No, there's not. You know, you bring up you, you, two different dimensions. I am so fascinated by stem cells, though. Me too. I, I'm so interested. And they're doing some stuff in Germany. There's a specific lab over there. In fact, Dana White went to it to get uh, Meninger's disease. Mm. He, do, do you know about that? He I had don't. it in his ear. I mean, it would bring him to his knees. And uh, uh, he got told about it from A-Rod. Uh, this specific place in Germany, no insurance, cash only, referral only. He got on a plane. He flew out there. They cured him in one day. Wow. And I'm I'm so fascinated by that. Dana went publicly and told that story. And, uh, you know, the stuff that they're doing, and we just don't have FDA approval, approval for it yet in America. But if you go online, you can read about it. And, uh, boy, I, I just hope I'm alive long enough. I have a cousin in a wheelchair, and in theory, they could fix his spine and do some different stuff. Right. I really am fascinated by stem cells and would be somebody that would would sign up and go do that if uh, 
if and when it comes to the states. But so to your question on performance enhancing, no, it's not an immediate effect. But I will tell you this: I, like I didn't feel any different. There's no kind of a high. There's no kind of a buzz. There's nothing like that. I will tell you this though: I will on a performance enhancer called testosterone, right. and testosterone used to be allowed in sport in our sport specifically at mixed martial arts, it no longer is. So yes. me and a number of other guys had to quit taking testosterone. That is the first thing I'm telling you. The day I retire is the day I will take my next testosterone shot. Right. I couldn't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't have the boss rooting or the lightning coming through my fingers, but the recovery, you need less sleep. I need eight hours of sleep. If I was on vacation, had no alarm, I'd sleep eight hours. That's boom. I, I, per- I could get away with six. I could get away with five and a half and wake up and be fully alert with no alarm clock. You need less sleep. Your your hair would go faster. Your skin would be a little bit clearer. Your body would feel better. And I don't just mean stronger. I was stronger, but not just stronger, just the recovery. And it was just such a fantastic medicine. Right. But it got banned for sports. So, no, I, there was no lightning moment. However... Over a period of time, as opposed to just feeling good, I more felt it from the reverse. I guess that's what I'm trying to tell you. When I stopped taking it. Got those aches and pains. That's right. I needed more sleep. Caught you up know, my you. hair looked different. My skin looked different. My attitude was a little bit different. And, uh, but, it, but it was slow. It was not a lightning coming out of finger moment. You know, what I was saying before about being in high school and being an athlete, a wrestler, like, now, is being a wrestler in high school, is that the same as being on the football team? Is it not as cool? Are you not getting as many girls? Oh, definitely not as cool. No. No, no. Football's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, I saw that in high school and and even in college, you know, and football football is a lot easier. It's a very... uh... It's very glamorous for whatever reason. I mean, the audience shows up, and it's it's a it's a great Friday night, and I, I've got great memories from going to football games. But it's very easy, you know. I mean, there's a reason 80 guys go out for the football team. It's not a hard sport to do. And there's a reason 30 guys go out for the wrestling team. It's a really hard sport to do. It, right. it, you know, wrestling is just a lot more honorable in terms of putting it on the line, in terms of the work that you have to put in. But football does 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 soak up all the glory, and you can hear the jealousy in my in my voice. I mean, I'm saying this for I don't I don't understand how it works that way. I don't understand how the harder workers don't get the credit. Right. But that is the way that it goes, and uh, you know, and the football guys they're also they're also the tough guys. You know, there's just a perception about that. I I have the foggiest idea where that comes from. I don't think you have to look any further than you can get 80 boys in any school to go out for the football team, and you can only get 30 to go out for wrestling. You know, it's not because wrestling is not cool. It's because wrestling's hard and football's not, and that's the reality. Do you think that – okay, I have two questions, but the first one is, uh, in wrestling, have you ever been – I mean, you couldn't be any closer to another dude when you're you're wrestling them. Have you ever been like, bro, your hygiene sucks? Oh, yeah. You're killing me. Oh, buddy. Oh, bro. I can only imagine. (sighs) I had a teammate. (laughs) <laughs> and this is mixed martial arts, not wrestling. We don't have but, to name any names, yeah, but no, Michael, you know who you I'm are. No. His name is Derek. Matt Horwich. And uh, Matt Horwich is a great teammate. I got great memories from him. He was tougher than hell. Matt Horwich was homeless mm. by choice. I would never tease a guy for being down on his luck. Sure. He preferred to be homeless. And his mother was very well to do. By example, she had she had one of those swimming pools where, where you push the button and the roof opens up Ooh, or you push the button and the roof closes. She was very well end. to do. Yeah, she loved him. She wanted him at home, but he preferred to be on the streets. He called it, you know, with the street kids and he liked to hold the sign. Mm. And yeah, you know, he's fighting in the UFC on a Saturday night. He you could pass him on Burnside in Oregon and he was holding a sign on Sunday morning. He liked that life. He liked to eat out of dumpsters. He liked to but never could understand it. Right. He'd come to practice every day. He wouldn't shower and 
who knows how long. He'd have staff and in Pentaiga, he'd do the weirdest things, and then he was into drinking. He, somewhere he read that it, it could level your alkaline levels uh, to drink apple cider vinegar. So he would bring in a gallon of apple cider vinegar, and we'd go for a water break and practice, and we'd be chugging water. He would go and chug this goddamn vinegar. Jesus. Which came out through his pores, and then he was eating onions. He was like Kramer on Seinfeld where he had the Kavorka. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, this guy stunk to the high heavens, and uh, you couldn't talk him out of it. You couldn't force him into a shower. It just it, That just wasn't going to happen. He preferred this life. And uh, I find it very fascinating. I've never actually met yeah. or even heard about somebody who was homeless by choice. Oof. He liked it out there. Yeah. Oh, I think there's a psychology to people like that. His mom had come to practice every it. single day. Meet him at practice. Give him money. Right. Make sure he had his. He had to wear his ID around his neck because he'd always lose it. You know. Where is he now, Matt? Matt Horwich is is camping in uh, <laughs> in Cal- here in California, and I only know that because I happen to know a police officer that had to go bust his campsite. Said mm. it, it it was just full of trash and condoms. And right. I'm so curious, what do you mean it's full of condoms? And the guy kept saying, oh, condoms were everywhere. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, there was boxes of condoms. There were used condoms. There, what do you mean? There, like, there were stacks of condoms? Yeah, con- there's condoms everywhere. There's what trash kind and of condoms con- Are we talking right. lambskin? He wouldn't go any further into detail. <laughs> there's, condoms, there's trash and condoms everywhere. What does that mean? <laughs> right. Right, and who is Horwich need the condoms with when he's when he's up in the in, in the forest camping by choice? But Matt, much respect for safe guy. sex. That's right. It sounds like <laughs> I'm teasing the guy. Well, I, right. I'm saying it because it, it was very interesting. The guy, actually, he actually became a world champion. Really? He was, this guy was fantastic. Oh, this guy fought in the UFC. He was the IFL champion. He was a main event fighter. He did it by choice. Now, uh, uh, and this goes back to something you were saying before about football and how it was attractive to, to so many kids growing up. Do you ever feel, I'm interested to hear what you think of what you would have done. Like, you happen to be incredibly talented and passionate about this thing that it just so happens came to incredible popularity thank at God. the right time, right? Yeah, thank God. Thank God. What would you have done if it had it? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's, uh, and, and I don't know the answer to that question. And I got, I got so lucky because of the timing of it and the growth of the sport. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, an MMA fighter or a wrestler would just put, uh, would have put that effort into a baseball or a football or one of you know one of these easy sports who knows what they would have done they'd have broken mm. every record there was i mean a football guy or a baseball guy and i don't mean to bag on these other sports it's not actually my message i'm just talking about you know the per, the pure work ethic and dedication that it would take to to be in a field like this as opposed to some other sports it would it would be very fascinating i mean you break every record there was out there there's never been a a football player or a baseball player or a tennis player or a golfer never never in the history of time to work like a wrestler works and it it would be very fascinating study to know what what are some of those wrestling champions that were willing to you know to put it on the line and and work and sacrifice and dedicate what if they would have gone into one of those sports and 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 worked hard you know those guys don't have to work hard and when when in your life you go play baseball all day and not even break a sweat I mean, you know, baseball yeah. players are going to hear this and they're going to read What do you mean I don't work? Man, you don't work hard. You don't even know what hard work is. Really? You simply don't know what hard work is, man. If you're in a sport where you won't play because it rains, you're a pussy. It's <laughs> as simple as that. Right? They, mm. get, they get one drop of rain. they got to cancel the game. That's a pussy sport. They'll play in a light mist. Sure. sure. But I mean, that, but that, a heavy that's downpour, a bottom no. line. That's a sport for wimps. 
Right. And, uh, you know, it pays well and they pack stadiums. And I, I, I'm totally jealous about that. I'm totally envious of that. Mm. And I have regrets of my own life that I didn't go into something like that, you know, with the dedication and work ethic that, that, that I was willing to put in. Do you think what it would have happened if you were baseball? out there? How do you go Football? wrong at baseball, man? They're gonna they're throwing a ball at you and they're gonna give you a, a stick to hit it with. No head injuries. Come on. Yeah, you can't beat that. They catch a ball, throw it to this guy. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, it's solid. You don't even play in the rain. There's... I mean, this is a sport of pussy. I would never buy a ticket and be a fan of guys being paid millions of dollars that won't show up and work if it rains. This... My father was a plumber. Wow. I mean, come on. He's not going to go work in the weather. They're calling that a business or a sport. They don't work in the rain. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I hear it. You are the pinnacle of a puss. <laughs> the seventh inning stretch is like a half hour oh, break alone. for God's sake. Um, go to work all day long and you can't break a sweat. It's not even possible to break a sweat. That's your profession? Mm. You're a pussy. Yeah, you play in Arizona, maybe. When At what time in your life? And maybe it's now. <laughs> <laughs> you play in Arizona. Okay, you're right. You got me on that one. Yes. At what time in your life, and what maybe it was high school, college, maybe it was, I assume it was getting ready for a fight. When do you think you actually worked your hardest? Were you pushed hardest to your limit in training yeah. for a fight? Yeah, I was fighting a guy named Anderson Silva Jesus. the second time. Oh, I've heard and, of him. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was so hard. And a lot of it was disorganized. Um, you, I didn't have coaches that were on the same page, so I would go over here for strength and conditioning, and that coach thought his job you know, was was to work you till you threw up, and then I would go over here for boxing. Well, he didn't know that I'd done a strength and conditioning, so he thought his job you know, was to train you uh, to absolute exhaustion. And then you go in and wrestle or spar in the evening, and it was the same thing. So I was having these three-a-days, and it was too much. I, I, I overtrained. I, I regressed. I ground myself down. I learned a lot from that mm. experience, but... It was a hindsight issue. I go, oh, I see what happened here. You coaches aren't on the same page. Right. You guys don't know that this is my third workout of the day. And uh, and then I put that in conjunction with I weigh about 122 pounds. That's kind of just what I walk around at. The fight was at 185 pounds. So, you know, you're trying to get off about 36 pounds, trying right. to do these three a days, trying to do the media. Yeah, that was really tough. From a physical standpoint, that, w- that, was, a, that was the hardest I worked. What does the perfect day of training look to you? Like if you could tailor it perfectly where you feel the best and feel like every day you're making movement towards being more and more prepared. Yeah, so I would train in the morning about 45 minutes. with Up um, bright and early? I'm up bright and early, but the first workout is uh, at 10 a.m. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I do a 10 a.m. workout for about 45 minutes. And that would be some kind of strength and condition. That would be maybe a run. Um, maybe hit some mitts, maybe lift some weights, but the whole workout start to finish would be boom, boom, in and out. Go back in the afternoon, early evening, and actually grab a partner and have a coach, and that's where you're going to have the hard session. Right. So I would I would have one workout, and then I would have one hard training session a day, and I would take two days off, Saturday and Sunday. Um, a lot of guys are going six days a week now. I disagree with that. Uh, not enough recovery. Not enough recovery. Yeah, yeah, I like to have those two days, and that that would be a perfect situation for me. That I, I believe in that. That's what they do at the Olympic Training Center, which does have a lot of science and money behind uh, coming up with the perfect workout. So, yeah, I think that in many ways less is more. Mm. Um, you know, you got to go in there a couple times a day, but uh, the old school mentality that I used to have of two hours in the morning followed by two and a half hours in the evening. 
Diminishing th- returns. That's right. Yeah, yeah. diminish. I, I think it was a little bit too much. I think I think the smarter way to go is uh, to compact it a little bit and uh, get in and out. To recover, to your point, to, to recover. What do you think about, because my friend Justin, who's a strength and conditioning coach, and, and I don't think he would mind me saying, we'll chat about it and he'll say it's so in fashion for these guys to be doing the science of the strength and conditioning and, and adopting all these different techniques and, and going hours on end and measuring every single thing. He's like, no one's taking a fucking sledgehammer to a tire anymore. Right. And I think that the reason why Pacquiao loved, loves Justin is because he puts him through old school things that have been tried and true workouts. Yeah. Justin's right. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Right. Yeah. I mean, here's your strength and conditioning. Put on a pair of shoes and come back in a half hour. Right. That's your ultimate strength and conditioning right there. The problem with that and, and why Justin has to get creative and would bring up the sledgehammer and the tire is uh, it's monotonous. It's monotonous and boring, and it's so important for just for any coach to motivate his athlete and make sure the athlete comes back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You're not going to be able to do that, particularly when you're trying to monetize or commercialize something. Mm. You can't just tell tell a guy, uh, okay, put on some shoes and come back in 30 minutes. Uh Oh, and pay me when you get back. You just can't. So strength and condition has had to evolve and come up with some different stuffs and some ropes and some tires and climb this and do that. And, but the other side of that is it does get people to come back. It is more in fashion. They see it on TV, CrossFit, and some of these things have, have, have influenced and kind of taken over uh, the world. And they aren't as good. Nothing is as good as here's your shoes and come back in 30 minutes. But that's boring. And it's really important that a coach can make sure an athlete has a little bit of fun, if possible, right. and wants to come back the next day by breaking up the monotony. But Justin's he's spot on, man. That old, that old school stuff at None of that new equipment or the medicine balls or the kettlebells, right. all these things that, you know, you see going around, man, it's all, it's all fake. What does your nutrition look like when you're training? Uh, well, so I, I come from the only sport and, and maybe the only profession in the world where your boss will weigh you in before he lets you go to work. If right. any other boss tried to do that, they'd find themselves in a clash action lawsuit. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that nutrition is near as important, but it is. It is important to watch your calories and, you know, make sure that you can make weight. So I. I don't really uh, change my diet too much in terms of some of the healthy living that you will will hear about. Um, mm. I will eat the same foods. I just eat a lot less of it. What do you like? Oh, uh, you know, pretty. I like American food. I like steak and potatoes. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, that might be my favorite. I like. Uh, uh, Italian food's got to be right up there, though. You know, getting some 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 good pastas and sauces and breads is always fun. But uh, that's the one thing I'm I'm in a tournament right now at Bellator. It's heavyweight, right. so that limit is 265. I walk in around somewhere right around 220, 222. So uh, yeah, man, I don't have any problem with the weight right now. It's the first time in my career, which is and nice. It, yeah, it does. It makes Come life on. a lot more enjoyable. Not having to have that battle, the battle of scale is nice. I've always wanted to ask this because I don't think any sport compares to the five minutes that of anticipation before a match. What what is going through your head? How are you keeping yourself calm? Yeah, so it's the worst feeling in the world. I and, bet. Yeah, we're all acting, 
anybody you see on TV from from Mike Tyson on that had that intense scare, uh, intense stare, and looked like they had this whole thing figured out. It's all an act. Where we're, I'm acting, my opponent's acting. We're all scared to death, and and none of us want to be there. We just want it to be over. So it's a very unique feeling. People often go, oh, I'm excited, and things like that. It's just because we don't know what to say. You're right. right. You're you are excited. There's a little bit of that. There's a lot more fear than there is excitement. There's a lot more anxiety than there is excitement. Excitement might be one piece of it, but it is an emotion that I couldn't tell you with a word. I couldn't say excited, scared, happy. It's a combination of many, many things that would have to be – it would need a word for itself, but uh, uh, most people will never experience it, and uh, – and, and that's probably a, a good thing. I've never been in a fight before where I haven't got in that cage, looked across the opponent, that other guy, and thought, what the hell did I agree to this for? For sure, yeah, right? Yeah, never. Oh, and, man. And you'll hear people tell you, oh, I'm excited. about it. That's, It's all an act, man. We're all acting. We're all acting and just trying to get through this terrible moment. And, and I, I, wanna, I want to give this to the listeners and, and guys like me who really have never – I mean, I've been in some intense shoving matches, but we don't have to go there. How are you – What's when you size someone up in in life or or anywhere? What's the one thing you're looking for where some where it's a telltale sign of like this guy looks like he might be able to handle himself? Yeah, you know. So uh, I know what to steer clear from. Well, I, I will tell you if you the ear could be a good one. If you right. ever see a guy with a cauliflower ear, right. Right, buy him a drink. Don't <laughs> right. don't don't spill yours on him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know that there's a sign. I I will tell you though. I mean, the the, the tougher the guy, the more skill he's got. The the more likelihood you are to enjoy him, to to be able to walk up and just right. say hello. He's not going to have a big chip on his shoulder. But, yes, steer, steer clear of a guy with a cauliflower ear would probably be one one piece of friendly advice. Now, say someone like me found themselves in a situation where it was unavoidable. Any tips? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, uh, so here's the good news with a street fight. They usually get broken up really fast. Right. And, uh, yeah, if you got to weather a storm for 30 seconds, just protect yourself. Put your chin down and your hands up and, and wait for somebody to jump in. And, and that may sound silly, but that's good advice. Yeah, don't think you have to engage. <laughs> Try to get your back up against the wall so nobody comes from behind you. <laughs> get through that 30 seconds and get the hell out of there. You know, there was this guy who worked at the gym where I worked out at, and he was like the token older guy at the boxing gym. His name was Maca Foley, the Portland Deer. I mean, he was like... Gotta have have the token old guy at a boxing gym. 60 and 45, all right? He's like, I'm from Portland, Maine, where men are men and and deer are scared. And... And he always said the biggest mistake guys make is that they'll be at the club or at a bar and they'll get into it with someone and they'll be like, well, let's take it outside. He's like, don't fucking go outside. Right. He's like, throw the first punch near the bouncers. He's like, so that they get in the middle of it immediately. He's like, because once you go outside, there's no referee. It's no holds barred, you know? No, I I fully agree with that. I fully agree with that, and I don't think that the fight starts when the first punch is thrown. I've I've heard people say that many times. You know, let them throw the first punch. Man, F that. I'll take the first punch every right? time. Every time. The fight starts as soon as a guy's within arm's reach. If, if a guy has lost his temper, and you know when that is, and you know when that guy's, you know, no longer responsible for himself, as soon as he's in arm's reach, that fight started. So keep your distance, back up as many times as you can, but when you can't back up anymore and he's in arm's reach, you got to go. you got to go. You have to go. Now, because you've faced the greatest fighters on earth, have you ever noticed a through line in, in some of the greats where you were like, all these guys possess this these one or two traits that make them great or 
no, you know, they've all been a little bit different. Some of them I didn't face. I watched on TV, but the greats all did have something about them that was different. You know, I'll give you an example. Muhammad Ali had a reach that nobody else could deal with. Mike Tyson was the other end of the spectrum in that he was compact, right. uh, had the shortest arms out there, but it was still something different. It wasn't a middle-of-the-road, you know, it wasn't a middle-of-the-road guy. The greats usually do have something that they they possess physically. That, that makes them different. And, it, and one of the things about that, when you're dealing with a guy that has some kind of a physical element that is unique, is you can't mimic that in sparring. Mm. If, you know, you just, you, there wasn't guys like Mike Tyson that you could get in the practice room, you know, that were five foot 10, 220 pound heavyweights that didn't exist, that were full of power and compact and would step in and try to hit your body and then come up with uppercuts. That style just didn't exist. So you got one crack at it. And that was live on Saturday night on pay-per-view in front of the world. And those guys are the ones that, that really created the most problems. And, uh, but it's for that very reason. It's just, you can't, you can't get those bodies. You don't have any shot to learn and, and, and deal with some of those uniquenesses. Right. So you, you've been nice enough to bless me with the last hour. Let's talk about Bellator. Cool. You want to give me some like, let's let's plug it up. Yeah. Let's do it. I oh, mean, Bellator's on fire. Bellator's on fire. I mean, their ratings are through the roof. They're selling out venues. They're doing international I've been business. to live events. Yeah, I was it's just a good in time. England. They, they sold out. I, I, I've been to the Mohegan Sun on the East Coast. They sold out. I've been in L.A. and they sold out. I've been stunned, uh, you know, at the popularity of, of mixed martial arts. And... Uh, you know, I think that's just as a whole, but, uh, you know, television numbers are up and the ratings are up and they, they, they just they just beat their own live gate record. Uh, they actually did it with my, my next opponent, Fedor Milenko. Right. Uh, you know, and so, so business is doing really well. And I don't mean to brag about dollars and, and how well Scott Coker and the company's doing. I, I, I mean that more as uh, fans are catching on and right. fans are enjoying it and fans are enjoying the product and fans are willing to come along for the journey and the ride. They have a lot of trust in Scott Coker. Scott Coker is now selling out arenas without announcing cards. He's just bringing the Bellator brand. Wow. And uh, people are coming in and buying because they trust, uh, and he's earned their trust. But when I come and I bring a card, I'm going to set this place on fire. So uh, get your tickets now. And that's a really exciting and a very, really rare thing. But uh, Scott Coker's earned it. It took him a lot of years, but he's earned it. How are you feeling about Fedor? Because the man is a mule. Yeah. Like, I've never seen someone quite like him. And he throws, I mean, it looks like there's bricks in mm -hmm. his clubs. Yeah, I agree. You know, and he's very explosive. He comes off the ground. He throws so hard his feet leave the ground. I've never really seen anything like it. He's got really bad intentions. Everything he does is designed to put you out. Right. You know, and I also respect his career. He He's a guy, one of the few guys, that is a legit tough guy. He will fight anybody at any size. He fought a lot of tomato cans in his career, but he didn't ask for them. He fought a lot of hammers in his career, too, and he didn't mm. ask for them either. He fought anybody that the promoter wanted to do under any rule set that the promoter wanted to put on. And there's not a lot of guys like that, and I, I, I do admire that in him. And have you ever, I mean, have there ever been moments in, you know, in, in the octagon where you've, you've taken a punch or you're on the ground and... You just, the thought came across your head of like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, de most definitely. Most definitely. That is such a hard part. And that's the whole battle. It's a whole battle of you're trying to break the other guy's spirit. Right. The guy comes in and he's got his goals and he trained and he prepared for this and he's got his strategy and he's all these different things. And you're trying to break it and right. change his mind.
you can't do this. You don't want this as bad as you thought you did. You don't want this as bad as me. That's the entire sport. And uh, yes, I have had my spirit broke. And it's a very bad feeling. It's something you don't think will ever happen. I'll never relinquish. I'll never give. And you go, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here. Right. And uh, that's a real thing. And that's what you're trying to do. And that, that that's the real truth of the sport. It isn't about the punching and the kicking. It's about I'm trying to break your spirit and take your will. And you're trying to do that to me. And only one of us is tough enough to withstand this. So let's see who it is. And that's what the sport is truly about. The rest of it is just uh, commentators and fluff to, uh, trying to explain that. But amongst the competitors, it's not about the punches and kicks, man. It's about who's tougher than who mentally, right. mentally. I remember being in a fight, was fighting John Jones for a world championship, and he was on top, and boom, he sat up and dropped an elbow on me. And I remember coming to, I remember like going out and coming to and, and trying to take in my senses of where am I and what are we doing, and boom, he dropped another one. And I had the exact same moment of where are we, why is no one protecting me, why? and then, you know, I realized, right. man, it's, it's just me. I got no one to protect me. It's just me out here. Um, and then he dropped another one. He put three of these elbows on me. And I remember looking around going, is anyone going to do anything? <laughs> um, but that was just the, 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 the unclarity that I had at the time. And when you watch it back on video, boom, it was just fast and boom. I was moving the whole time. Who was, was reffing that? Big John? No, Herb? I can't remember who uh, reffed that match, but it was all not right. one of them. And I only remember that because it was a white guy and he had tattoos all the way down his neck. All right. And uh, I remember when he finally stopped the fight, he looked at me, thought I was going to be upset with him. And I remember looking him back in the eye, and I said, thank you. <laughs> yes. And I remember, I remember he was surprised by it, but I meant it. I mean, his job is to keep me safe, and he did, so thank and, you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Th- yeah. I, I'd be giving him the thanks. Be- I'd be sending him gift <laughs> yeah, baskets you did, before. Yeah, that's right. You did your job, man. I mean, the second I, like, show any blood, please call this thing. God. Yeah, that's right. What? So, I, and I'm sure it's different after a win or a loss, but what's the, the three hours after a fight look like for you? Are you getting a bite to eat or you like, I mean, after yep. the press conference and all that Do stuff. the press conference, I just go back to the room. And, really? Uh, yeah, I know some people By yourself? To, yep, I know some people go to after parties and whatnot. I just go back to the room and... Uh, Are you replaying the fight in your head? Never. 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 Leave, I, it, leave it at the cage. I don't re-watch them on TV. I don't ever know what happened, ever. Uh, somebody will ask me what happened. I never know the first round from the last. I'm just not good at that. Some guys could, could replay every second for you, but I kind of get in a haze and I never recall it. I don't rewatch them on TV. I think that's a weakness. I think I would be better if I did win, win or lose. I Is think. it that you just can't face it? Yeah, I don't that's like right. watching old episodes yeah. of my TV yeah, show. Yeah, I get the anxiety up. My, my palms start to sweat. Too critical? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or fa- I'm fast forward. I can't get through it. I need mm. to know the outcome, even though I, li- I, even though I know the outcome. I, I have a very strange feeling. I think it is a weakness. I think it's a competitive weakness. I would be better to go back, break it down, figure out what happened, good or bad. But I don't possess that. I, don't, I, right. I just don't have that within me. I, I never rewatch them. And this might be an annoying question because I imagine a lot of guys have gotten this. What did you, I mean, did you think that the the Floyd-Conor McGregor fight was the most brilliant marketing ever? I loved it. I, loved it? Oh, I had so much fun. Right. I had fun with the buildup. I went to that fight live. I could not believe how well Conor did. I thought that. Uh, really well. Oh, I thought boxing took a big blow that day. You know, boxing for the most part is a fake sport. There's, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, there, there's there's no reputable organization on the face of the earth aside from the international olympic committee that recognizes it as sport mm. there's no high school where you can go box there's no college you can get a scholarship is i'm a professional of the fighter points? the point system is 
I really right. don't know. People just don't believe that it's a real sport. Participation is next to nothing. If you want to be a top 10 boxer right now at this point in your life, raise your hand. Okay. There's not 10 other guys boxing. I was 28 years old when I met my first boxer. I lived at the Olympic Training Center when I was uh, 22 years old. They have a boxing program. I was 28 when I met my first boxer. Wow. I was a professional fighter, had my first fight when I was 19. I was 28 years old when I met my first boxer. Yeah. And I'm not talking about somebody that says they box. I'm talking about a man that put on the gloves on a Saturday night and got out there and traded punches with another human. Right. 28 years old. I don't know. I don't have a single friend that boxes. I could take it a step further. I don't know anyone that knows anyone that boxes. I never grew up with someone that goes, well, you know, my cousin over in blah, blah. Never. Never happened. I could challenge your listeners right now. They're going, how can you say it's a fake sport? I challenge your listeners right now. You have one hour. Go get yourself a pair of boxing gloves. Right. Go, I don't know where to get boxing gloves. Okay. Give you one hour. Give you one day. Go get yourself a mouthpiece. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know where to get a mouthpiece. Okay. I give you a whole week. Find a boxing gym. Every one of your listeners go, man, he's right. I don't know where to, I don't even know where to get the gloves. It's not a real sport and nobody does it. And, uh, you know, when you take a guy that's 50 and 0 and had never lost in Floyd Mayweather and you put him with a guy who has never done it, you have a guy who has never lost against a guy who has never done it. And it took Floyd 30 minutes to get him out of there. I can tell you as a wrestler. You bring me any man alive, I don't give a goddamn how good of an athlete he is. I don't care how many world championships he won in his sport. If he has not wrestled before, right. he ain't not going 30 minutes with me. He's not going 30 seconds with me. I will get his ass out of there. But he did a, f- a version. I mean, People love to say that. Game. People okay. love to Tell say that to, 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 to protect boxing instead of just facing the reality. And boxing is my second favorite sport. I love it, but I'm still faced with the reality that it's a fake sport. It's mm. a fake sport according to the NCAA that will not sanction it, according to every high school school in this country that will not sanction it, according to every junior high in this country that will not sanction it, uh, to, to the fact that the participation is down, to the fact that I just told you I was 28 years old when I met my first boxer, and your listeners are right now going, yeah, he's right, I don't know any boxers. Not one of your listeners is raising your hand going, how can you say it? Not one. And you've got a huge show. They're all going, man, he's right. I don't know anybody that's ever been in the ring on a Saturday night and boxed. I know him from TV. I've sure. seen some. There's a guy named Manny Pacquiao. There's a guy named Floyd Mayweather. You don't know. I'm saying you haven't met a kid. You didn't go to school with a kid. You don't have a kid in the neighborhood that's ever put on the gloves and got in the ring and boxed. Nobody does it. And the fact that you could bring in a guy with zero experience against a guy who'd never lost, and it was a 30-minute contest, was a tremendous blow to the lineage and history of boxing, and that's a reality. Do you think in Floyd being a brilliant promoter and understanding the business side like no other, like yourself, do you think there's a chance he could have taken him down in the fifth, but was like, you know what, let's let's work this a no. little bit. This is a super fight. People have been waiting no. for this. No, no, no. Really? Oh, no, no, no. Because no. around the sixth, it looked like Floyd was fucking working. Yeah. Him. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, you get a guy out of there as quickly as you can, you know. You think so? I oh, mean, always, always. Yeah, yeah, you'll, ne- you'll never meet an athlete in time. I mean, you, you, you get that game over as quickly as you can. You know, you're you're scared the whole time, and Floyd was taking big punches. Yeah, I mean that's a conversation. So, so the level of ridiculousness, I I, I don't even want to give it the the legs, because, so that other people can go, oh, yeah, he carried him, because that's how Floyd is now telling the story. Sure. I carried him out. Oh, come on, no, it's never happened. Um, they you want to get out of there as much as oh, you yeah. have to, you have to. That's what you're trained to do. You know, you the, the fight ending punch could be the next one coming. No, you get the guy out of there as quickly as you can. And Floyd did. He got Connor out of there as quick as he could. It just happened to take 30 minutes. I think uh, Floyd did a very good job. I think he was overwhelmed. 
I think he had to change his strategy not once but twice and, and then ultimately go on to plan C. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But he he needs to tip his hat to Connor, man. He right. never lost at boxing, and he got his ass kicked by a guy that had never done boxing, and that's just what happened. Well, I mean, your take on that fight is why you're one of the greats. Yeah, on, that's on, true. On every that's side. That's true. That was a brilliant take by me. I, I quite enjoyed yeah. it, and I was right here, <laughs> listeners. You know what I mean? I got it in person. Well, Yeah, but it is true, and I, 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 I do want to say this because you know I, I do love boxing, and I, and I don't mean to give it a bump. It's not like I see it as a as a, a rival or a competitor to, to, to our sport, and I'm trying to put it down. I'm just hmm. saying, but there is a real reality there that, that nobody boxes, and I think that it's a very sad thing. I think that it's a great sport. It's one of the world's oldest sports. You know, the, the only other debate is uh, on, on what the oldest sport in the world is, is did somebody punch someone first or did they push them first? If they pushed them first, then wrestling's the oldest sport. If they right. punched them first, then boxing's the oldest sport. But, I mean, that was around before mitts and balls and courts and fields and bats and gloves and, and all these things. And, um, you know, it's very sad that it's a dying breed, but that is a reality. And, you know, people will put a lot of weight on some of these boxers. And how great they were, but man, it's it's not it's not hard to be great in a field that nobody does. I've got, I'll give you an example. We have a young lady in Oregon that we're very proud of, and she's won the last three Olympic games, mm. and that's a tremendous feat, gold medal. Sure, she won it in fencing, and I'm now 41 years old, and to this day, I've never met a fencer. It's never it's happened. Tough. And for for the listeners, I would challenge them: go find a sword. I give you a day. Go find it. You don't get to go to Amazon or eBay. Go to a <laughs> store that sells fencing equipment. And then the next step is tell me where the fencing studio or the fencing gym or the fencing club is. Tell me one time you've ever driven down the street and seen a fencing facility. Mm. It doesn't exist. And as, as cool as it is that she won those three gold medals and I don't want to take anything from her, when you go into a sport that nobody does, right? it's pretty easy to come out on top. But if anyone would have it, Amazon would have fencing swords, and I bet it would be <laughs> yeah, That's prime. exactly right. They, they would find it in 30 seconds if they went to the computer. You're right. But, I mean, you get my point. There are sports out there that just they, they just simply aren't real. I mean, we just we just lived through the Winter Olympics. You're looking around going, guys, this is an elitist club. I mean, how many people have snow where they can even practice right. You know this thing? And there's an I answer to that. I can't stop watching curling. I, I can't not watch it. <laughs> yeah. it I'm obsessed. I, I mean, it's I incredible. Know. Did you see the Russian that got taken out for performance enhancers and curling? For curling? And everyone's going, for, what, what did you do that for? That's awesome. You performance enhancers for curling? He's like, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, all right. If I'll, I'll be over here in the corner. If I want to take estrogen blockers, that's up to me. Have right? at it. It's just me and my broom. That's right. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for doing this. You this should try. Been... You should try. Give it your right, best shot. Here we go. You, sir. Go be, on. Besides being incredibly... I mean, a gentleman, a scholar, Stop. a man about town. Stop. And let me tell you, in the looks department, uh, up here. Really? Yes, sir. Well, that's a nice compliment. I mean. Like, I appreciate that. This has been a joy for me. Stop. I'm drinking you in, and it's Stop. going down smooth. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great line. Hey, mutual, man. I had, a, I had a lot of fun. Thank you, and congrats on the success of the show. Proud of you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Chael Sonnen. What a guy. Chael, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, I remain a huge fan. And while I don't completely agree about, you know, the football and, and the baseball and pretty much any other major sport uh, being for weaklings, 
Well, I, I, I mean, I wasn't going to disagree with you. You could hurt, you could hurt me. Um, anyway, Chael, thank you again. His fight against Fedor Emelianenko is going to be in October for the Bellator Heavyweight World Grand Prix. They'll announce the exact date and location next week, so follow Bellator on social media for all the info uh, on Twitter. They are at Bellator MMA. Thank you again. All right, guys, that's it. I mean, listen, I can only give you so much, all right? An hour to two hours a week, that's it. You know, I'm just a man and I have other responsibilities. Would I like to be on mic all hours of the day? Of course, you know, I'd like to share my whole life with you. But look, we've all gotta, we've all gotta live big full lives and I'm, you know, sometimes I need some me time. I gotta go to soup plantation and load up on a beautiful salad with some nice flatbreads and some serve yourself soft serve and sort of check out and have some me time. And that's, that's my truth, you know? <laughs> oh my God. What am I saying? All right, guys. Love you. See you next week. Thank you.